Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is the right side of history, or the person who runs the right side of history TM Twitter account, who I found when she wrote a thread detailing the Marxist influence of not only Marxist feminism, but also queer theory and how they are all of the same ideological clade or genealogy. I thought her writing was very interesting and smart to boot. And so I had her on. And in this conversation, we talk about her position as a 24 year old Gen Z female coming on the scene and distrusting the collectivist ideology that a lot of her cohort is adopting as a matter of course. And as the conversation goes on, we talk about radical feminism or sex positive and sex negative feminism and why they are at war now and why these groups behave in the way that they do, such as calling me a sexual predator for suppressing the desire to wave at a pretty woman, which is something that just happened to me on Twitter by a Marxist feminist or a radical feminist who has Marxist leanings. And so the right side of history makes sense of all this by laying out the fundamentals of Marxism or German idealism and how that manifests in certain political ideologies. I found it fascinating. And it's always great to talk to a young person who's got their head screwed on straight and is really trying to find their way in the world and to see somebody at that stage of life engaging with these ideas full heartedly and with an open mind. So without further ado, here is the right side of history. How did you get into what you're getting into or what you've gotten into? What's your credibility and what's your drive behind it? Um, so my freshman year of college, <laughs> I went to uh, I went to a liberal art. It was like a STEM focused liberal arts school. Um, and my first year uh, in the all female dorm, there was a trans identified male <laughs> on the same floor, and we had like communal bathrooms and showers. <laughs> so yeah. This- this is weird. Um, and luckily, like, there was two bathrooms on the floor, and he was in the other one. Um, so th- that was never a problem, because I was on the opposite side. But <laughs> that weirded me out. And I noticed, like, progressively as time went on throughout undergrad, it got worse and worse. Like, like now professors were asking you pronouns and like asking your pronouns in class along with your introduction. Um, We had uh, like different like seminars on campus that were like, like woke aligned or, and there'd be like different like public performances, like social justice performances in the cafeteria. (laughs) Um, And then towards the end, my friends were all people I was friends with, they were all like centrist, right-leaning. And by the, I would make like, I had no problem making like trans jokes in front of them. And towards the end, they all like got woke. Yeah. Um, and it got very um, uncomfortable because <laughs> I, I couldn't like joke about it because everyone would go, go like silent. And this was like towards my junior year. And then we all got kicked out because of COVID. Um, but they weren't like that in the beginning. And so I remember when I was a freshman, I used to troll. Um, I had a Trump flag <laughs> that I put in my uh, dorm room window. 
And um, when when it was dark out, my room, uh, the way it was, uh, my building was oriented. You could see my my window from across campus. And so when I turned the light on, the Trump flag glowed across campus. Um, I didn't even, I voted libertarian. I, I just wanted to, um, I was annoyed. Huh. <laughs> so I just wanted to be a, a troll. But um, I had a bunch of people complain to my RA and <laughs> try to get my RA to get me to take it down. Didn't take it down. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so it left it up. But well, let's just say I wasn't super um, popular. <laughs> and you were fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, what what makes you uh, not susceptible to the wokery? Um, I'm a mil- I'm a military brat, so I've lived uh, all over the world, all over the country. I've lived in Germany, Kenya. Um, Kenya was actually my first um, my first uh, introduction to queer theory. Um, I was at a Christian school in Kenya. This is like 2013, 2014. Um, cause my dad was, uh, with the embassy, um, and my Bible teacher, he came into Bible class and he was wearing, uh, we have Bible class, like normal class. It was like four days a week and we had chapel one day a week, but he came in in, in like a V-neck dress, um, and his nails painted. I was like 14, 13 at the time, 14. Um, and he basically like he did this. He wore a dress to Bible class because he was trying to show us that like basically the these expressivity of gender is like a subjective personal thing that you can um, like you can express yourself in a wide variety of ways. And this is the Bible. He went to like a seminary school um, in Oregon. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> But this was like a, a the school in Kenya was a Methodist Assembly of God and Mennonite like establishment. I'm pretty sure he was Methodist. I'm not sure, huh. but that was well, my method acting. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. A method acting. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have libertarian leanings. You're uh, cultured. You're worldly. Do you, do you have like a religious foundation too, or like what's your relationship to to um, I traditional grew belief? Up Pentecostal, simply God. I'm an agnostic atheist now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you, you kind of you're you're a skeptical person. L- yeah, largely. That's part of one of the things that made me like because when I turned 18, I went to school. Like I had already been. Identifying as agnostic in high school, um, but like when I got to undergrad, like the gender stuff, it, it felt like another religion, and that's how I first like my like spy, like spidey senses went off, so to speak, um, yeah. because it like it was like a similar like there was ritual, there was like professions of faith, like public repentance, yeah. and so it's like this is. I just left the religion. I don't want to join a new one. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Huh. And what about, um, you said you didn't have a lot of friends. So what about the cost benefit analysis of being a troll? Like, do, do you, does that like, you look at your life and how it's going, you're like, wait, I'm going to be pretty lonely because everybody else is following this herd and 
Is there like an aspect of loneliness to that, or or and do you lean into that, or do you, do you um, find I'm, common allies or common? I'm very. Bit, I've been in school since I'm like 20, 24 now. I've been in school since I was 18. I'm doing a dual degree program right now, so I don't really have time to <laughs> worry oh, well, about yeah. being lonely. But yeah. no, they weren't like my friends in undergrad. They didn't stop being friends with me. It just it became filtered. Yeah. 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 And now you're, you're in grad school. Has the wokeness, like, have you found a department or a corner where it's not infiltrated or is it just like systemic through your, so uh, throughout the last I'm doing a dual uh, law degree and master of biomedical engineering. Okay. And, um, the law side is obviously a lot more woke. <laughs> um then the engineering side uh yeah. it's like night and day i take like there's been classes at the law school where um the simply this class was like it, it it was titled like something like reproduction uh reproductive rights in the law or something like that and the professor did not use the word woman she said pregnant person like yeah. <laughs> uterus havers birth givers and it was like a class about uh like reproductive just I should have known <laughs> justice, but I remember like after like the first or second class, I, I looked up the syllabus and every single, every single author uh, of every single one of the, the papers she had us read was in an admitted Marxist. I looked them all up. <laughs> a what? A what kind of Marxist? Uh, admitted Marxist. Like, admitted, oh, like okay. Mar yeah. Yeah. Okay. Huh. But, and you said bioengineering? A biomedical engineering. Biomedical engineering. What is that? Um, my undergrad's in uh, biochemistry, and okay. So basically, you're it's you're developing applications or doing research for future like medical technologies. But I'm going into patent law, which is why I'm doing the dual degree. Okay. But biomedical engineering is like, I hear that and I think of, you know, the island of Dr. Maru, you know, like, like the smed scientist stuff. Is that what they do? They like design cells and. Uh, yeah, uh, we do. We, we do self, but we do self culture. Link. We do some CRISPR, some gene editing, but um, a lot of what wow. we're doing in my lab is has to do with um, basically fluorescent decay and uh, mitochondrial diseases, redox ratios, measuring like mitochondrial function and cell function in okay. under different conditions parameters. And we do a lot of computational modeling. So we use different programs like SciB, MATLAB to just create programs that can model a biological system. Okay. Uh, have you always been kind of like uh, able to operate on that level of abstraction? And are you a technical person? Uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And yet you still feel things when there's a man passing as a woman in your dorm room. So what you're not. You still things. I, I'm just, I, I was making a stupid joke about like, like if you're really brainy, but you still have uh, your, your spidey <laughs> senses are still connected. Um. Well, the, so because that one like it, it's it's like you're you're forcing someone to accept a lie habitually or not only like accept a lie but like repeat it and like be exposed to it constantly so it's not it's not necessarily just like hmm. like some like 
morality feeling or feeling that it's wrong. It's like it feels wrong because it's conceptually wrong. Yeah. Okay. Huh. And when did you start posting on Twitter under the right side of history? Uh, um, it was after why? I got banned on Reddit. Oh, you got banned on Reddit. Um, yeah, I got a, a permaban on Reddit. What did you um, say now? <laughs> well, it was in the law school subreddit. Um, and there was something about gender and... Um, um, I, I I can't even remember what I I don't even remember what I said. It was relatively mild, but I got banned from the subreddit. And like I messaged the moderator, I'm like, like I didn't break any rules. Why did I get banned? Um, and the mod responded to me, and they were like, if you like respond to this chat again, I'm gonna like going to like forward you or escalate this the Reddit admin. And I was like, ooh, I'm so scared. <laughs> And then, like twelve hours later, I found out because of that I'd been permanently banned from Reddit. Okay. And so that's when I started using Twitter because that was around uh, the time Elon Musk. That was August of twenty twenty one. Was that? I think I think that's right. Um, uh, is when I started like being active, and then I started set like posting more and more. But I never really used it before August twenty twenty one. What was the what was the use of Twitter for you? Like, was it social or was it like interacting with ideas? Like, uh, yeah, mostly ideas, most like like politics because that's what I did on Reddit before I got banned. Um, yeah. just like politics, uh, like posting like different studies, etc. Okay, but study. But what's your what do you think your domain is, or like what you're attracted to, like subject matter wise, like when you post articles or research papers um, and stuff like that. I I'm specifically attracted to most of it is like basically critical theory or like <laughs> critical theory, Marxism, like like yeah. or like Hegelian aspects in or being conceptually slipped into research and how that's affecting research, how that's reflecting like a funding from government agencies, how that's affecting like like the stock market because with ESG like the the conflict between um uh like fiduciary duty and uh stakeholder capitalism yeah um, there's that conflict it's all stuff relating to that like basically a bunch of stuff <laughs> yeah well, what do you think uh your generation is going to do with uh what they're being handed which is kind of a pile of shit but your generation is being indoctrinated or inculcated into Marxist critical theory and stuff like that. Do you think that yeah, your generation new. is going to get wise yeah, to that? I'm Gen Z, uh, technically, probably run right on the cutoff, but yeah, it's not going to be good. No. Um, I would say politics isn't really brought up in the engineering department, but it is in the law all the time. Like, uh, for example, if there's um, any type of like adjacently political to topic in the law school. It's only like people who are left left leaning or leftist raising their hand and discussing it because like people don't like because it, it, it's like not acceptable to have even like the appearance of right leaning beliefs in public. Yeah. <laughs> Why? But, what's what's so nasty about right wing beliefs? It's just not cool. It's not it's not necessarily that it, it's like considered like morally bad. It's like it's like secular puritanism. Um, 
And so it's not even necessarily that, like, if you ask them, they normally can't actually articulate why they think something is bad. They just, it's like a knee-jerk reaction, like, um, almost like, I don't like, I guess, like, when you're, when you go up religious, like, that, re- like, I don't want to say brainwashing, but, like, you're, you, you're taught your religious beliefs from a small age, and, like, you kind of had that automatic processing about, like, yeah. as you, like, go through your environment about, like, what's right and what's wrong, and you filter, like, your observations through the lens of your religion. That's what they're doing, and it's, like, automatic processing. They're not actually, like, critically examining, like, what they're doing or why they're doing it hmm. and they often can't tell you why but it's because they've been brainwashed since yeah. uh very small. and it's socially reinforced and then it's institutionally reinforced mm-hmm. too i just want to have you have you seen in your you know among your cohort people who were rather that way and then they kind of get that so-called red pill or like be interrupted by cognitive dissidents to such a degree that they have to start to reformulate their belief system or so i haven't no i I haven't noticed that in um law school i haven't made a lot of friends in like law school in the engineering school simply because i'm in like i'm taking over 20 credit hours yeah um, so it's n- not a lot of extra time, um, but <laughs> um, in undergrad, there wasn't really, it was all sh- left shift. Um, it was, like, no one, no, everyone like started out center, center, right that I was around and they all shifted to the left. Hmm. But um, I didn't really notice anyone like become more right leaning at any point. It was always shift left. Mm-hmm. Were you, where, where did you go? I was always, (laughs) I've always been right leaning. Like when I was, I did like, I had like a political Instagram in like middle school or high school where I did like, um, like right leaning, like trolling (laughs) on Instagram when I was like 14. Um, Why? 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 Because that's the edge. I I like, I like being an agitator. I like, um, I like making people uncomfortable. Almost (laughs) like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got accused of that um, just the other day, making people uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> um, for uh, saying that I, I I have a desire to wave to pretty women on the street. Uh, I um, saw it. <laughs> you saw that? I saw but, that. Which brings me to how I, I you made a banger thread um, <laughs> taking down a feminist Marxist. And that was in the midst of this whole like uprising of the gender critical feminists about a man in a dress and they want to do dress codes or there's fetish gear and there's all this reading of like, how do we impose people uh, safeguarding and stuff like that? I don't know to what degree you were involved in that, but I'm wondering from your point of view, I don't know to what degree you're even interested in the uh, gender uh, topic itself, other than the fact, there's probably like the factual thing that you have an issue with, but I'm wondering, cause you, you, you chimed in about feminist Marxism. I'm wondering like what your take on feminism is the, the, the bounds of it, the unboundedness of it, the, the goodness of it, the badness of it as a woman, like what does it do for you? Does it do anything for you? Does it yes, do anything for you? I was so a spectator to that whole. Yeah, you're just a spectator, but um, you're looking, you're seeing another like, like, um, you know, kind of like this microcosm, which I would describe as kind of like wokeness in this really kind of small little thing. 
because I kind of like stopped um, being in the gender critical circles as much or like the turf circles because I got like canceled. Oh, you did? Months ago, like for like a retard meme. Wait, what? The, I got canceled a couple months ago by the like turfs or the gender critical feminists uh, for like a retard meme. <laughs> Like, like the meme wasn't retarded, but it was no, about it like had the word retard. <laughs> and okay, like, and it was mostly like the people from the UK. They were upset at me. I don't know. I like ignored it. I didn't even. Care. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. But, okay, um, and so, and I, after that, I progressively like, began to notice like a lot more like purity spirals, like like or like policing, um, like internal group policing. Like there was like. A lot of if you don't have the right if you don't have exactly this set of pol like politics um you're you can't call yourself a turf like or you can't call yourself a gc you're just like um a like a conservative larping as a turf or yeah. <laughs> um was yeah. or they they I've seen people like uh throw the book Andrew Dorkin's book uh right wing women at people <laughs> um but yeah, I don't like Marxism. I don't like anything like that lends itself to Marxism or hmm. a, an exclusively a very collectivist, collective collectivist externalizing outlook. Um, and that's what a lot of feminism does. So I don't I identify as a feminist insofar as feminism means like advocating for women, but I don't. I, I, that's like nobody else would consider my sets of beliefs likely feminist. So I don't really fit into that yeah. camp, like ideologically. Um, Do you think. Call me gender critical. Okay, you're gender critical, but um, is there something inherent, in, from your point of view, inherent in advocating for a group that lends itself to identity politics, which then lends itself to Marxism. Is there, is, it, is that just inevitable? I don't think, so. I think advocating for issues for a group is not necessarily lending itself to identity politics in and of okay. itself. When you frame it as oppressor oppressed is when you're lending yourself because then you're, you're automatically creating like a zero sum dynamic where like, um, if you are going like if you are going to gain something it almost signals that another group is going to lose something and they always say and then they follow us up with like um uh equality feels like oppression when you've been like privileged or whatever but like yeah. that's that's not okay that's not you don't buy into that okay you don't buy into that zero sum dynamic. No, because it's dialectical. I mean, it's it's little it's it's in it's in creating intentional conflict between different uh, like racial groups, like national groups, ethnic groups, religious groups, sexes. It, like and you can see this play out too with like a lot of like the red pill and then like the feminism. There's this weird like constant like dialectical conflict where you have both these parties like perpetuating this idea that sex relations are zero sum. And that's what a lot, that's almost exclusively what the red pill like stuff is. It's like they view if a woman is getting or is like incurring any benefit in a relationship, that means you are necessarily losing something as the other party. And that's uh -huh. that dialectical conflict that just keeps iterating and like creating um, 
these okay. weird like niches on the internet like pearl pearl's a great example because she's saying um like men don't get married and that like men don't get married because women benefit from marriage as if the fact women benefit in any capacity means men inherently cannot benefit um and so that kind of it's like weirdly it, like it sounds like superficially conservative or right-leaning but it's what she's advocating for is actually very leftist and you like you peel it back so it's like it's huh. all of this like diethyl conflict it's going in one direction it's going left okay and how do so if what is left then and Basically, why is that yeah towards uh, i say left but like more towards like collectivism and away from more traditional like i guess judeo-christian like uh values more but um hmm. so which is what's happened like when you have a breakdown of like what when you have a breakdown in the family you have a breakdown in the more local community like localism um and so robert nisbet talks about his uh, this book um uh I can't remember the title. It's, it's community, but it's by Robert Nisbet. Um, he basically says that when that smaller local structure breaks down, that leaves everyone deferring to a larger authority for their like for their moral authority. And so now that we've kind of had a breakdown in the smaller community, we've had a break. Like people aren't really religious anymore. There's no no that religious re- religiosity that binds together community. People are deferring to popular culture and uh, the government for their moral authority. They're getting their values from TikTok, what's popular on TikTok. They're getting their values from the government, yeah. um, from their school teachers and not necess- not like the older, the grandparents or experts or people, their yeah, grandparents, their people are their grandparents or friends with or like elders in the community or like elders of the church, et cetera. I like where we're going with this, but I have to interrupt you um, in building this argument because you are an agnostic atheist. So it sounds like you're admitting that society itself is going to shift leftward if it doesn't have the glue of religiosity. Mm. So how do agnostic atheists humble themselves in a way to lend themselves to the the opposite of the breakdown of society? Because I know... with the whole new atheist thing i don't think agnosticism has to be inherently like opposed to religion that's 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 it like a false like dialectical conflict like you you don't need to be in opposition to religion just because you don't like believe in like you don't believe in like an actual higher being like or like an actual or you don't know that there is an actual higher being um but a lot of the new atheism became like a proselytizing religion. Um, it became denigrating of any type of like transcendent belief system. And then that kind of like almost like translated to any type of religion or expression of spiritual belief becoming uncool. And that weirdly morphed into uh, paganism justice. being very popular. Paganism? Um, yeah. that's Like, like in what like, respect? Like aesthetically or like? Uh, the- Wiccan, like wit, like gen z it's like the fastest growing religion among gen z it's very odd well it Uh, lends itself to i guess um 
you know, you are the generator of your own, your will is the generator of your own spirituality, which lends itself to the internet influencer kind of mindsets. Like I, I generate my, I manifest my, my own powers through yeah, the like new projecting. Age paganism. Yeah. yeah the, okay. I, I can like, if I, I can will something into existence. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that's, I know if there was an article, there's an article going around a couple of weeks ago about they're adding this like pagan witch program to like the University of Edinburgh. Um, I probably said that wrong. Edinburgh. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, but, Edinburgh. Um, um, and if you go on TikTok, like the, the like pagan or like witchcraft thing on like the hashtag, there's like tons of like tons of creators like making videos about like how to set up your altar or like this mm. set of post. I don't know. Like, I, oh, I yeah. don't know what they do, but it's interesting. So the Christians that were worried about Harry Potter were worried for the right reasons. Cause now like everybody thinks they're a magician. Well, I don't think, I actually don't think that is Harry Potter Downstream. necessarily as a result of that. I think, I think part of it is Marxism because of anti-capitalism, because what they are saying is with this, this pagan bend, they're saying that, basically pagan or like witchcraft and they're specifically targeting like young gen z females um they're saying like the earth or like like nature is uh, is uh, associated with the feminine and so capitalism and like uh consumerism inherently alienates you from the feminine and yeah. so you can kind of get some of that back by being a witch um yeah by buying but, all these witchy products yeah Huh. And, but that 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 sort of superverses, right? It like it it kind of creates this immediate like dialectical opposition between like Judeo Christianity okay. and like witchcraft because there's always been that kind of like ideological tension. Um, and then on the other front, it creates like an, an inherent like anti capitalist leaning. Yeah, anti capitalist. The capitalist. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't. I say capitalist. That's technically pejorative. You're bringing up a lot of the things. Um, so I apologize to the audience for jumping around. So th this, how does one, well, I, we have to finish with the religion thing. So if you're seeing that in the absence of religion, religion's going to return over and over and over again, like what, from your point of view, how do you lend, how do you push culture towards the religion? If religion, if religion is going to happen anyway, and maybe it's not, how, how do you participate in pushing the culture towards the religion that you would favor, even if you don't believe in the transcendental purposes, you still believe in the, what you call the Judeo-Christian values. Or yes. do, are you responsible at all for that? Or you just say, well, this is just the system that I live in. I'm a little bit, so I'm a little bit black pill on that front because there's <laughs> the, the decline of religiosity, like just from what I've read and I've seen started like around the industrial revolution, um, because then that was the breakdown of like the house of the economic unit and then where your all your larger mm. extended family were in the same dwelling. So and Robert Nisbet says like uh, or says something similar. And he, he wrote that book community in like 1951, 1952. Oh, wow. So that he spotted the community problem back in the 50s, which is what people point to is like 
like the quintessential, the quintessential like time uh, or like era of the nuclear family. Well, the problem was with the nuclear family. The nuclear family was a problem because it was like a weird superficial like synthesis, like modern synthesis of a family pre-industrial revolution. People lived in um, like extended. with their larger extended family. Yeah. And it was broken down into a smaller unit, like mm-hmm. man, woman, yeah. two children, then a dog kind of thing. And that, that, and that is just like the image that was given. I'm sure like reality was different than that, but that image was superseded by variations and, and then further breaking down. Have you, have you seen in your cohort in your generation, um, like a lot of broke, broken homes, a lot of kids with variations on the family. And have you, have you seen the outcome of that? Do you, do you ever wonder about like what? Mm, I know, I know the statistics. Um, Okay. Is is it observable to you? Like as a, sorry to use this word vibe, like people's relationship to family, people's relationship to um, monogamy. Yes. Like you, (laughs) Typically, I mean, people from like broken homes or like like single uh, single parent households tend to be a little more rough around the edges. Um, they tend to like have like I guess like n- lower ambitions. If huh. if one way to put it, almost like because that I guess the behavior hasn't been modeled. Like they it's modeled in a way at school, but like there's no like consistent parental modeling of hey like come like you shouldn't necessarily always just be like comfortable like maybe you should try and um like push yourself a little bit like yeah. uh be more long-term like goal-oriented yeah okay yeah so okay so you witness or like you have a problem with Marxism. You have a pro- problem with this thing that you call the dialectic or dialectical thinking, which has something to do with zero sum is what is the alternative to that dialectic us versus them like that back. So and I, forth. I'm referring to the Hegelian dialectic when yeah. I, um, um, well, the alternative is, so the problem is when you're framing everything as, as a fault of the structure, is typically what the ultimate conclusion is. Like the fault of everyone's problems, everyone's grievances can be can be reduced to, okay, it's because of your identity and it's because of your identity in relation to the state or the superstructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore all solutions are governmentally orient- oriented. So if, if, if the problem is necessarily the structure, then the solution is necessarily like intervent, like top-down interve- intervention on the structure. Yeah. Um, and so uh, first the, the problem is like identifying things as necessarily caused by identity relation um, because then that inherently lends itself to like, okay, well, everyone with this collective or the same identity is somehow being like oppressed in the same way. Yeah. What else could do that but a superstructure? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like how that has been framed, at least since it's at least it's partly partly the fault of the social gospel and like post-millennialism. I don't know if you're familiar, but can you give thing. a little footnote on that social gospel and millennialism? Yeah, post-millennialism, social gospel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, sorry, wait, 
sorry, would you Would say? you give me a little footnote yeah, yeah. on that? So basically, um, social gospel was, it was really popular in the early 20th century. And it, as opposed to premillennialism, which emphasized a, like a more like fire and brimstone, like, like apocalyptic type second coming of Jesus, uh, uh, post-millennialism was basically in order for Jesus to come back, we have to improve the earth. We have to get as close to perfection as possible. Hmm. And um, hmm. I can't remember, but he was like one of the, like the preeminent of, uh, I guess uh, not founders, but influencers of... in this area. Okay. And he was highly influential on Martin Luther King um, a lot of the, uh, the social Christians, um, he, he was a socialist. He was for like a redistrict, a re, uh, a redistrict, yeah. the perfection of the world through, uh, yeah, intentional, uh-huh. structural, systematic implementation. This is like, mm-hmm. this is foundation yeah, of the UN, the WEF, like anybody who's a globalist, like they're mm-hmm. all like descendant of this way of thinking. Well, like I wouldn't we can say perfect all, the world. I wouldn't say all of them. Um, but I, I said this, like this social gospel was a product of German idealism. Um, so Hegel, um, uh, Kant, like in those, like that kind of like they were reactions to the enlightenment, those type of thing, uh, those type of thinkers. Um, and they all influence this new strain of idealism um, especially in Protestantism, American Protestantism. And so w- with the social gospel, instead of they came to the conclusion that instead of like helping the community from like a lateral perspective, like like distributing like food and aid, Christians need to be the social, uh, cultural and political change. So it's Christians obligation to like change society to be more like per, more godly from the top you know, down. And so that's... You know, people who are like really uh, worried about Christian nationalism, uh, like like the, the, the people in the government specifically and in the media that, that uh, catastrophize over Christian nationalism, they are the Christian nationalists. They just don't recognize themselves as Christian. Wokeness yeah, is Christian, Christian nationalism. This is the, this is the descendant of, yeah, of it's, it's, product. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Protestantism, German idealism. It's just called well, social justice. It's just, mm-hmm. you take the God out and but it's the same, it's the same yeah, organ. It's, it's We're the gonna, same orientation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, I derailed you though. So you were, you were describing, um, you're describing these two influences and the dialectic. And I, I ultimately I'm like, well, what's the, what's the opposition to that? Or what's, well, no, you can't even do an opposition to the dialectic. Cause then you're, 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 that's like a tar baby. Now I'm in dialectic with the dialectic. So how do you, what's that's the alternative to the, the negation? Yeah. You're negating the negation. So how do you, so, okay. I'm sorry. So you're, you're studying all this stuff because you're recognizing that something's wrong, something's off about this way of thinking. And it tends towards collectivism and it tends towards a top-down state solution. It tends towards, we have to have an intervention on the state. And there's something about your values that, or just like your being that is kind of sketched out about that. So going, uh, investigating it is one thing, but what, what is the positive alternative to that from your point of view? I don't like being told what to do. It basically comes okay. down. I don't like being told what to do. Like, I don't like people 
um, like preaching to me. I don't like people like moralizing to me. Like, cause, cause a lot of times, like if someone is like telling you, you need to, uh, or give more to charity or you need to do something, something in a certain way, that's a telltale sign that hmm. they're, <laughs> they're, they want to basically become your master. They're telling you they, you should do these things because they want to control you. Like they're prescribing their, their will onto you. And so if you like, if you centralize that and like increase, increase the leverage, increase the ability to do that from the federal government, from the state government, et cetera, then like, you're going to have like fewer and fewer and fewer actual like options. Like, like you're not going to have as much latitude to like do what you want. Um, and so that's kind of like, like, I don't like author- totalitarianism. I don't like authoritarianism. I-, I like free market capitalism. I like being able to decide for myself, like what I want to believe and what I want to do. Yeah. And if everybody around you is increasingly thinking in the same way, like how has that made you feel to watch like this leftward shift, this shift towards top-down state solution and moralism? That's part of the reason why I I agitate. (laughs) Like I like, I I like to like make people uncomfortable because I, I almost see that as a way to move the Overton. Like if you're like desensitizing people, if you're making them uncomfortable, then like they will get more used to being uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay. part of the like the problem is people have are not used to public discomfort in any capacity well but that's not true because you are you're probably not the only female on that uh dorm floor that was uncomfortable with the male maybe not but i was the only one uncomfortable enough to do visible visible retaliation like in a way that i could um most like but isn't he things. participating in the same thing, broadly speaking, of making other people uncomfortable? Like he's he's making them up to the gender roles or whatever. I don't. I never. I was. I never heard anybody else complain about it. Okay. It was really only me that like would like crack jokes about it and like kind of like like raise like oh like, did you see that or something? Nobody else really cared. Um, I thought yeah. that was kind of weird. Um. But I think largely, I think because, I think partly because of social media, we have, like, we almost sanitize, like, public interactions. And so, like, or, like, we think every interaction we have in public, um, mm. it should be as docile and polite and, like, like uncancelable. Yeah. yeah, as possible. Like, you should not show, like, public discomfort with any type of behavior um, because we mm. have to be accepting and open and um, we can't shame people for things. Yeah. But but then on the opposite side, the people who do shame are still going to be the moral authorities. So, so you have a bunch of docile people that are kind of being shepherded along because they don't want to infringe upon the moralists Mm -hmm. so they are being controlled by just like going along with things so you're willing to pop your head up and question authority question moralism make people uncomfortable wake them up say what do you think about this and use meme memery to do that yeah um i i also do i've also do that by like in class i'll ask (laughs) uncomfortable like i will push i won't push back very hard but i'll push back enough to where uh, (laughs) Um, it's obvious that I'm pushing back because yeah. nobody else pushed, nobody else 
does. Um, huh. And a, a lot of times it'll be like minor ways, like, um, like for example, in my cognitive science and the law class, they were talking about uh, how black uh, black people are more likely to get schizophrenia. Um, and she she said it was because that there was like less access to healthcare, less access to like mental health screening. I was like, um, under the age of 25, marijuana is highly correlated with like, or increasing your risk of schizophrenia. And she was like, oh, um, like, I don't think that's true. And I'm like, it's true. Um, and she asked me to send her the studies after the class and I, I sent them to her. But like, it, it'll be stuff like that where I'm like, like, that's not, that's blatantly not correct. You're okay. making that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so the, in that instance, it's the, uh, I guess it's a version of the social justice thing. Uh, the, her interpretation of the data was about the system. It's like the system's yeah. the problem. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not the health or the habits of the individuals or this, the individuals within that group of people who are making these choices for whatever reason, because we can't Everything criticize those. Yeah, yeah, we can't. What do you mean by that? Everything is external. Basically like any type of happening any type of like uh, uh, consequence or any probabilistic increase in the likelihood of a consequence or like a disfavorable outcome is moved outside of the agent, like the agency of the person. Yeah. So that person is not responsible for their increased risk of schizophrenia um, because they are doing drugs. It's the system's fault for making that person want to smoke weed <laughs> or it's the system's fault for not educating that person that doing drugs is bad or yeah. it's it's never it's never like the individual is never forced to internalize the uh like mm. the blame for the outcomes of any of their actions it's yeah. always push outward <sighs> i you know the the state is what the state is i don't see it going away uh, you know, once it gets, uh, you know, it's got all these laws, it's got all these patterns, you know, and it's going to keep on repeating the pattern over and over and over again. Like, so it's going to be constantly pushing for the ideology that increases its power, that, that locates the agency inside of the state. Because German ideal, like Hegel, that's because of how we think of the state. Hegel hmm. literally envisioned the, the, like, uh, the German government, the German state as God. He saw like the final, like the representation of the state as um, as the divine or the transcendent being, and that's kind of like we see this why like elections kind of like feel like life or death. Partly is because we've allowed like the government to balloon to the point where it actually is almost like a godlike figure, mm -hmm. like one person like becoming like president of the United States can drastically change your life um in one way or the other and that's because the the state is transformed into this like this almost like omnipotent like being which is which, which just like a cluster of beings that have mm. the ability to like run your life in one way or the other run the economy etc yeah so is one is one way to opt out of thinking it i guess what you're advocating for is just to think about it differently or to not allow yourself to think about it as God, even though it is kind of the most powerful thing in the world right now, the global American empire, um, or at least the collection of entities that, that is I think, beholden I to. think my, it is internalized more like, like, because a, a lot of 
like what has been infiltrating the culture, like teaches people like because by virtue of your identity group, by virtue of your socioeconomic class, virtue of your gender or transgender status or sex, um, you you are just going to like go where the structural like where whatever the direction the structure pushes you in by virtue of your like intersecting oppressions and so the problem is people believe that and so everything they do they externalize every failure um while also internalizing every success right if you if you if something good happens to you um it's because you're like great and wonderful but if something bad happens to you every bad thing that happens to you is is pushed externally is never your fault nothing's your fault it's yeah. structure's fault it's uh like your parents fault in the case of a lot of the queer theory stuff we see like oh you're you're feeling alienated and isolated and suicidal because your parents aren't affirming your gender um like that kind of like everything is pushed outside of the self mm. um and so that creates a feeling of helpless helplessness and i if i can't if i feel like i have no like agency if i feel like i have no like autonomy like if i have no effect i have no ability to affect my life in any way then i'm going to want a stronger god i'm going to want a stronger state because mm -hmm. like i because if i feel like my life is just happening to me that i'm going to want someone like above me that's strong and can like control the way that i'm going to be moved yeah yeah and you don't buy that no no how is that how do you think that that alternate the your way of looking at things has affected and shaped your life and the decisions that you've made so far um i think part of it was growing up in a, in a military family um and so i think part of it my dad did a like a lot of like risk-taking behavior with us as a kid i was i did a lot of risking behavior in high school. And I think part of that could like developmentally and dispositionally, that could be part of it because now like you see like this weird, like bubble wrap, like hover parenting where um, physical risk, like avoid physical risk at all costs, but like they're exposing kids to like insane things at very young ages. So it's basically the opposite of like how I grew up. I was like very like sheltered off the internet um until like high school and but i was allowed to do like i was allowed to do like take physical risks and from what i from what like i saw what? Friends, like paragliding or rock um, climbing or we like yeah jumping off of rocks i like i rode horses four-wheelers just stuff like that um okay yeah but and it's i've noticed like with the just the people i grew up around it's been like the opposite where people are um their parents let them do more on the internet, but they were also like paranoid about like them doing risky things like physically. And yeah. so I, I think that affects like disposition. Like if you go through life, like paranoid about like, I guess, physical harm, um, while also, I guess like almost like frying your, uh, your endocrine system <laughs> with like, uh, not only like no exercise, uh, bad food. Um, and also like, being exposed to these algorithms that like prey on like our dopamine signaling system um yeah. you're going to have a weird a weird development or a weird disposition um yeah. where you're going to almost like seek safety but 
and stimulus. And stimulus. Extreme so like, stimulus, but the risk taking will be in like bizarre. Like I'm wondering if like the risk taking is manifests itself in like weird sexual behavior or weird like forms of expression in order mm. like instead of like taking instead of like feeling like agentic through taking a risk i feel agentic through different self-differentiation like i have to be this gender i have to mm. um i have to be like like overtly like sexual in this manner i have to be uh pansexual or a demi boy gender queer or yeah. like um one of those well, so briefly and you can dodge this question, but, but growing up female and then being thrust into this gender world, like, did you, were you conscious of your womanhood or your femininity as a concept uh, distinct from you or a social concept? And, and then watching it like become such a strong factor in the socialization of your generation. Once you do plug on in online, once you do get to college, once you do kind of break out of home into this new world, like, was that kind of something you had to, wrap your head around like what what a woman is or like what a woman means now as opposed to what you um, are I, like that's not something i really ever like i didn't spend a lot of time like because i didn't spend a lot of time like evaluating my behaviors my own like I, femininity like, or masculinity that wasn't something i didn't... wasn't like dissecting why i like things or i just did things um, and that's probably yeah. probably because I like wasn't on social media until I was like 14. Yeah. Um, and so that allowed, I guess, more, I guess maybe like I'm assuming that, that social media is causing a lot of like anxiety or anxiety like symptoms. And so yeah, that, because you, you weren't really concerned with yourself. You're concerned more with the world and because mm -hmm. your experience of growing up was more about being out in the world, doing these things and like and then trying testing yourself against different things or mastering mm -hmm. different things rather than social media would be more like, what am I? Who am I? Like, am I this thing? And, and so it, it kind of makes you. Yeah. Or how do I did, how do like where there's all this like like you can see people's profile you see like talented people beautiful people from like mm. all over the world and so now you automatically feel this need to like um oh i see people who i the only people who i see getting attention or like who i see getting praise are people who are really good at something or they can differentiate themselves in x way and so that kind of like creates i need to be i need to be different than everybody else in some way in order for uh, my life to have any type of value. And so that's why I think you see like all these, also this like the superimposition of all these like weird identities. So you see people in their like bios, they put all their mental illnesses um, and they put their pronouns and they put their race because like that's the social currency. The more, the more like intersections like you can cross off the more unique you are and therefore mm. the more valuable your voice or you are um and so it's part of that i, I think we we can encounter more people on one day on the internet than somebody 100 years ago might in like years of their life and so that kind of like that's not natural to our evolution and mm. so we that i'm sure that affects us psychologically and makes us like feel we have to do something outrageous or do something like differentiating um, to overcompensate for that exposure. So when you end up on the internet, 
you it's different it's just a different thing to you like how did you encounter it and you said already you were doing right wingish trolling already so you already knew that it was something sounds like you just use it what is it to you and how do you use it what is its use and it's I use it for like it's mostly ideas like I like like I've like I've learned a lot about like some of using Twitter. I've learned a lot like of new um new things that I I've never heard of before. Uh especially with respect to like philosophy, like like yeah. political science, like e even like um I I listened to Jordan Peterson for like years. Like so I learned about Jordan Peterson on on Reddit. <laughs> um and I learned about James Lindsay on Reddit. Um and I've been listening to James Lindsay for a couple of years now um but yeah he said uh, he met you he liked it <laughs> yeah i just saw him he, he passed it yeah maybe maybe he thought you were somebody else then maybe because we were just talking well we just talk about a non-people it's like oh yeah this person oh, oh. so maybe not i we we messaged back and forth but i don't, I don't yeah. we haven't met in person i've been wanting okay. to go like see him talk but i don't know when i'll be he's a good guy that. he's a great man <laughs> He's a shit stir and a kind yeah. of, he can be kind of a prick on, on the internet, but I love him personally. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you, so you, you meet and you connect, but then what, what do you find your voice being? I, I, you wrote this a wonderful thread. I'll, I'll link it in the description where you took down this feminist Marxist or showed why feminist marxism or you just argued against it and there was well, a back I basically and forth explain like how you cannot say that queer theory isn't like an ideological descendant of feminism you okay can't say that it is. so this is this is a important point um and feminists certain feminists this makes them very uncomfortable and it's not fair to them because now they're, they're the victimized of the child. But how is it the case that a certain strain of feminism queered itself into queer theory and then became that, which is now, uh, destroying feminism. Queer theory came out of, um, sex positive feminism. So a lot of the, a lot of the like radical feminists you see, like saying queer theory did not come out of their feminism. It's yeah. because they're sex negative feminists. So like they, those two branches, they like, broke off in like the seventies. So that's why they say that that's not us. Like that, that, that didn't come from feminism. It's because it, it didn't come from their feminism, but it comes from that same, like that, like idealist tradition. Like you, it, you can trace it all the way back. Like, it go like through like Beauvoir, like all the way back to Hegel. Um, like Simone, like Simone de Beauvoir, she said, um, one is not born woman, one becomes a woman. And yeah. depending on your like your, I guess like your philosophical tradition or like your feminist tradition, you're going to interpret that differently. But people undoubtedly interpret it to mean that like you don't be, you become woman as in woman is a social construct that is imposed upon you by yeah. external factors yeah um so it, we'll is it the case that that sex negative and could you define sex negative in relation to sex positive but are sex negative feminists so-called are they 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 took the ideological pathway and then they stopped at a certain point and then it but it kept on moving like it kept uh, on yeah. So I would say like the when people talk about sex negative feminism, they're often talking about like a, of like a tradition that's uh, like fall from people like Andrea Dworkin, 
um, who wrote uh, Right Wing Women. Um, she wrote another couple, a bunch of other novels, Mercy. But um, she was uh, she her, a lot of her activism centered around being anti uh, anti prostitution and anti pornography. Yeah. So that's like what people refer to when they say sex negative. Um, okay. anti-prostitution, anti-pornography, they say that, like, a lot of, like, basically a lot of, like, modern conventions with regards to sexual expression and sexuality do not actually benefit women. Um, and sex-positive feminists say, like, because um, that turned into, like, queer theory, but because, like, there's parts of womanhood are constructed and, and imposed, we don't actually, like, uh, like tabula rasa, um, uh, blank slateism, um, <laughs> different ideas we have about man and man, men or women are not necessarily a function of biological difference. They're not necessarily innate. And so we don't know what's actually imposed upon men or women. And therefore we're going to just assume every differential is a construct. It's like what they do with all other like critical theories any discrepancy is like any difference is evidence of like oppression not that they completely ignore confounders confounders aren't a thing um what's a confounder sorry like like confound like uh, other causal other potential causes okay. that have been like totally ignored they pick the cause they like and they run with it um okay. because that fits within their inductive reasoners they have an overarching theory and then they interpret the evidence in in oriented like oriented towards that theory yeah. um and th it's reliable they do that every single in every single field of critical theory and post in every single like strain of postmodernism um hmm. but and so that's kind of like how sex positive feminism like the tradition sex positive feminism came out of was um you have this idea that women um, don't like sex or like men are men like sex more than women. Uh, that's a social construct. And that construct is specifically imposed upon women to oppress to oppress women. Um, and so therefore, we have to be sex positive. We have to be like we want to flip that on its head and use sex to empower women because it's it's basically it's that dialectic. Right. It's turning like it's pitting this like males use sex to oppress women in order to like get that re mutual recognition like or like in order to get self-consciousness as hegel calls it in the dialectic you have to basically um almost like take 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 that that dynamic and like flip it like mm -hmm. create an inversion and so they do that by like oh like in like Oh, women like making money from sex work or OnlyFans or whatever is actually empowering because you're taking that like oppressive construct and you're using it to benefit you. Um, and so that's kind of like how like the, the strand like sex positive feminism took along with queer theory. Queer theory came out of sex positive feminism. And that's why you have swerfs and turfs kind of lumped together as yeah. a negative pejorative. And swerf, <laughs> swerf is sex a negative. sex worker exclusionary radical feminists mm -hmm. and then the trans exclusionary radical feminists and those are those are the sex negative so-called feminists yeah. and that and there's a kind of slight um uh well it's the dialectical trick that sex positive sex negative uh, flattens it because there 
are aspects of uh, descendants of sex negative feminists who aren't ne- sex negative. They're just thinking uh, in terms of like sex is something that's not shouldn't they're be. They're still thinking in that oppressed, like sex negative feminists. They're still thinking up in that like oppressor oppressed binary, but they, they're just doing it in a different way. Yeah. Um. So it's still it's still like dialectical because they, they still. Uh, they still believe in patriarchy and and like an overall superstructure that is designed to oppress women for the benefit of men. Yeah. It's just they, they just believe it manifests in a different way. That it's uh, so. I was uh, I got in the middle of a dust storm and I hosted a, a live stream with two women and uh, so that they could hash something out and I just ended up being quiet and then somebody did uh, like a Twitter space Stella for like a three hour yeah for uh, between Stella O'Malley and Kelly J Keen who are two powerhouses that are doing that are affecting some great work you know but they had some dust up you know and like uh, they aired some sort of tension they resolved it and they trusted me to host that and i in the moment i just saw that it was it was necessary for me to just be the observer and then somebody did a stream on on, about that you know and a bunch of people started to co-ruminate about this thing and why was benjamin quiet like he was probably told to be quiet so that stella could do and they started like imagining all this dirt around it because they had like they had an inductive process like where they knew that that Stella's the bad guy and like so I'm enabling yeah. her blah 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 but I got this clip from this and I didn't listen to the whole thing somebody sent me a clip like this was pretty crazy they really went after you so everybody like kind of came out with their grievances about me and this woman Karadansky who's doing really good work in the you know women's rights space like trying to carve out a space for women to be you know protected specifically in prisons and and sports and stuff like that like on a legal level um she she did this really weird there was just this really weird thing that happened where we had a debate well we, we had an interview a couple of years ago uh, and it was about like how if feminism is about liberating women from the patriarchy, what does that actually mean? And so uh, in that debate, are you still there? You're, you're breaking up. I don't want to lose you. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, in that debate, I asked her to define how is it that women are liberated from patriarchy? What the, what does that mean in practice? And she said, well, one one aspect of that is men need to stop raping women. Like that was, that was her statement. So men need to stop raping women. I'm like, well, okay, so how do we stop men from raping women? And she's like, well, men, you men need to stop raping women. And we got really hung up on this thing. And we went into this, all these different variations of how men's behavior is oppressing women and men need to change that behavior. I'm like, well, how do, is this the problem of evil? Do we need to have like little chips inside of men so that, and women, so that if the heart rate of a man is at a certain level then then the chip can just shock the man and that that's how we'll stop men from raping women and she's like why are you thinking this term men just need to stop raping women um and i'm like well i haven't i haven't raped women in 46 years i haven't raped a single woman like i don't know how to stop uh, from raping women because i haven't done it yet uh anyway so i told a story about she told a story about like being harassed on the street And, you know, somebody pulled up to her, she was a young, vulnerable woman, and they yelled at her, or they propositioned her. And that really terrified her, it traumatized her. And 
uh, you know, and I'm like, and we, we try, I tried to get into like, how do you interpret that stimulus as, and she interpreted it as the patriarchy. Like she interpreted everything as this like superstructure imposing yeah. oppression on women, every single turn. And I, I'm getting to the point of my story. It's just fascinating because then I, I, apparently I told her a story about how I was driving around LA and I saw a beautiful woman and I wa- found myself wanting to wave at beautiful women. And I suppressed that. Like, I just, I just said, like, as a man, like, I just want to wave at a pretty woman. I see a pretty woman and I, and I waved at her. And so anyways, in this space, a couple days ago, apparently she, she repeats that story about how uncomfortable that made her, that I had this sexual compulsion that I, I refused myself because it was socially unacceptable. And she made this really big insinuation that I'm basically a sexual predator because I want to wave at a pretty woman. And it's so ridiculous, but it, it follows from that sex negative. It follows like it actually makes sense to her to interpret me as a Um, sexual predator or sexual deviant. Because because you grew up, like you grew up, under the influence of the patriarchy, therefore you view sex as a tool or any type of sexual imposition as a tool of controlling women or like imposing your will upon women. And so every interaction a man has with a woman under patriarchy is inherently like uh, influenced by these power dynamics. Yeah. And so nothing is can be nothing can be analyzed in isolation of the superstructure. So yeah, so it's not about like an aesthetic appreciation. Uh, it's not about like like a friendly. It's, there's no such thing as friendship between men and women. It's all power. They they, they are obsessed. They're, they're obsessed with power and dominance. That's every single critical theorist in general. Every every single interaction they everything they they absorb from anything is filtered through that oppressed oppressor oppressed lens. Everything. Okay. And um, so in the case of sex negative feminism, all all sexual signals from males is is a power dynamic. So so when we get into the Phil Illy thing, I'm sorry to how the, extreme to my, it depends to, on how extremist they are, but generally yeah. yeah. But um and uh I'm sorry to my audience for bringing this up because it's just such a novel little function. There was a picture of a man in a dress at a conference and on this mountain. And a lot of women who weren't there got really, really upset about this picture of a man in a dress on a mountain. And, and we had a lot of conversations about this, but they kept on going down and saying that this is him imposing his fetish on everybody else. It's a, it's a, it's a power, it's a domination mm-hmm. tactic yep. on behalf of him. And there's no other way. And maybe that could be the case, but there was no other interpretation of that. Yep. Like everything mm-hmm. that a man does, every sexual impulse that a man has is by definition, rape. Necessarily, necessarily it's, a sexual imposition or like an act of sexual domination over any woman in its proximity. Yeah. And a woman doesn't have any ability to interpret that stimulus as anything other than being oppressed. Like you can't just uh, like shrug it off because that's internalizing mm-hmm. misogyny, right? Um, it, you can't. Well, those women who sh- who do not analyze the world in that manner are described as doing so as they're analyzing the world in a in a lack of oppressor press binary because they are in proc they are proximal to men in a way that like 
They are trying to get favor from those men. That's why Um, they use pick me. So any woman who disagrees with that interpretation are called pick me's because they are. And pick me means that they are siding with men because they're getting because they're getting a benefit for doing that. They're not actually doing that because they believe it. And this is this is all covered in Andrew Dworkin's book, Right Wing Women. Um, Basically, like women on the right, women aren't feminists, right, right wing women. Um, they're right-wing women because they're getting a benefit or they're getting, uh, they're like basically appropriating the power of like of the men that they're around by being right-wing. So they choose that route instead of being like a left-wing feminist yeah. because they're getting, they're benefiting from the patriarchy by being right-wing and uh, proximal to men. Okay. So, and which, which makes them, which, which, the, and you're explaining a dynamic in this, in this uh, gender critical movement that it just, there's nobody more sexist to women than these women who believe in this way. And then when they see a woman who doesn't think the same way, they always talk about themselves as representing all women. Like women think this, all women think this. And the women who don't think this. As a collective, everything is collectivized. It's all collectivized. And so, so they completely dehumanize the women and they don't think that those women have come to another way of looking at things through reasoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no, the, if you have a divergent viewpoint, it is always about power. Everything they, they do not, nothing can be interpreted without a lens of like, how is this person getting more power from this interaction? Or how is the power dynamic affecting this interaction? So therefore, like, if you have a divergent view as a woman, it's not because you've, uh, you've like rationalized your way to that divergent view. It's because you're getting some type of benefit from that divergent view. Like you're getting more power. You're getting yeah. like influence status. Like, yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, I've known all this stuff. That's and, the critical theory. You see that like with Candace Owens, like uh, like Uncle Tom. Um, yeah, that's that's the same dynamic. That's the, the yeah. identical dynamic with Candace Owens. It's identical. Yeah. So different. Okay, all right. Um, because it it just it goes to ridiculous ends when I'm accused of being a sexual predator for describing my desire to smile and make a woman smile, like like. That's totally ridiculous, but it mm-hmm. does follow from the the propositions. It 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 all it all works out. Like this is just the manifestation of all these different propositions. Now, what we what we uh, what we diverge from, and what we want to get back to, is that now the gender critical feminists are up against their uh, their mortal enemy, which is patriarchy in drag now AGPs. the agps uh the queer theorists but the queer theorists are using the same dynamic that they do used against them and a lot of women are on that train too which which baffles the turfs because they're like wait why are you operating against your own power and then the 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 females who are agitating against the turfs you see this in the photos there's a lot of boys there but there's a lot of women they're they're saying the turfs are are trying to impose the patriarchy so like there's yeah. <laughs> like how do you square that and i know they won't want to see this because it's their baby or like it, it follows from the same priors it's just the same dynamic like it's just the same dynamic with interchangeable variables right like, like okay patriarch like oh Men are the oppressors. Women are the oppressed. 
trans identified males are the oppressors, women are the oppressed, and then women who are adjacent trans identified males are only adjacent trans identified males because they're getting some type of benefit from advocating for trans identified males. Yeah. Um, And so, and then the queer theory, the queer on the other side say, oh, these TERFs are only TERFs because they're getting some type of power benefit from being TERFs. From being sex, uh, sex realist. Yeah. The, the 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 turfs are getting benefits through the sex category, mm. um, but the gender category is something, and then keeping that those benefits from the people who are transgender. Yeah, mm. that that's what. So the tra- the transgender people view the cis people as in the position of power. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of the, the the turfs represent is like the cis the bigoted cis people who are trying to basically limit expressivity or like eradicate trans people or genocide trans people which means you you got you got you like aren't allowed to use women's restrooms and that literally means that's eradicating transness and so if you eradicate transness you genociding trans not because you're actually killing a trans person but because you're you're eliminating their ability to express their transness and so they're they're trans in a diminished capacity <laughs> And yeah. so that means you've eradicated or genocided transness. Yeah. Um, but they say that, that like turfs are advocating against that uh, be, because they're getting some torpor, like a, a proximal benefit, either from they're they're getting an indirect benefit from the patriarchy or uh, their role in the patriarchy, which or, they agitated for by by in, uh, imposing all these title 9 laws and all these other laws by by having the patriarchy mm-hmm. assume that their rights as a sex they 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 they're benefiting from the patriarchy by agitating against the patriarchy and so they're, they're part of the patriarchy now even though they're against it yeah, they want yeah, to smash but, the patriarchy but yeah because the queer like the be, anyone who is wanting to the system to stay stay the same is not a revolutionary if you're not a revolutionary therefore you're an enemy like, yeah. because TERFs want to kind of keep the system as it was, at least in that respect, yeah. they're counter-revolutionaries. Like, they're, they're, they're frustrating the revolution. Yeah. Um, so okay, so you, you see all this, and you can describe it, but what's your, what's your position, then? You, you watch all this, I guess, what do you what do? You do? Like, I'm a you classical, just... I'm, well, I'm a classical liberal, so I'm a, like, gen, I'm gender critical. Um, okay. But, I just a lot of what I post is like describing what's happening or describing the dynamic. I post different research papers. I post like I do like research dumps where I post like all of the like um, the research on puberty blockers, like uh, like like mm-hmm. bone growth, osteoporosis, like long term effects yeah. um, on brain development, uh, on uh, detransition rates, like insurance data, all that stuff. Yeah. It, so there's there's a way to move the culture towards away from the mistake that it's making, specifically with the medicalization of children, um, without engaging in this power dynamic. I think so, but there's not a lot of so. The problem is is a lot of people who, especially specifically women, because I experienced this kind of like dynamic where it's like you're going on social media because you're not allowed to talk about these things in public. And because it's not okay to talk about these things in public, you find these like niches on social media. And the most visible niche are the radical feminists, because they've been doing this the longest. 
Um, and so you kind of like uh, what a lot of people do is they see this. They aren't necessarily radical feminists when they find these groups, but they find this like sense of belonging in this group because they've been so socially ostracized and isolated in yeah. every other avenue. And yeah. so they kind of like I, I, almost uncritically, um, almost like uncritically, like adopt this these new this new belief system because this group aligns with what they feel like is going, this group is identifying a problem with what they also feel is going wrong. And so like, they kind of like, this is like the number one, like number one most important issue to them if they normally found like the turfs. And so they're willing to kind of like, just like absorb like through osmosis, like the other ideological system to be accepted in that group and oriented towards that like form of activism. Okay. Yeah. So unwittingly uh, Marxified. Yeah. Like, like I think like most people have been, um, hmm. normally it's, it's incremental and an incremental and it's normally accidental. Like people, and a lot of these people, they don't even think they're Marxist. Um, they think they're center left, like, so, or some will even say that I'm a social Democrats, but yeah. um, they don't, they don't explicitly know this like this dynamic that they're uh they're almost like pushing or participating in is necessarily just like the idealist version of uh of like what marxism is the base and the superstructure like oppressed yeah. is oppressed yeah um, it's yeah. just the ideal idealist version uh, where whereas marxism materialist like yeah. the oppressed the structures of oppression are constructions rather than like resources it's very interesting because I've been I stumbled into this topic to describe the topic and I was befriended by that group because uh, and then I interviewed that group and then about you know just I got into the door and and then I started experiencing ca- cancellation like where they dogpile on me or they cancel me and then it just happened every 6 three to six months. I just I I'd, I'd say something or I'd be involved in something and they'd like they'd they go after me really, really hard. And there's a lot of different dynamics in that. But I think if you're not getting canceled by that group, then you're, then you're, there's something probably Marxist about you. Yeah. You're, you're probably, um, ideologically, I, I can't, I'm, I don't know how many times I've been struggled or canceled. Yeah, you get struggled. That's just a part of the dynamic. I I think they're funny. Um, I think memes are effective. I've been accused of being a trans woman. (laughs) Of being a man. Yeah. Uh, Why? Why? Because you have a sense of humor? You can't possibly like like imagine that I guess a woman would be like edgy <laughs> or yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it's very self-limiting. Know. It's very like, it's very, very like, like, it puts it them puts in a box of victimization and then it reinforces their well, weakness. They, they don't view themselves as individuals. They view themselves as a part of a collective and they view this collective very stringently. Um, So like they view themselves and others through this like very strict ideological lens, almost like like just basic stereotypes. Like if you if you are not like uh, X, X and X and X, then you're not outside of my my collective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because like you're if you're framing the world in like terms of or if you're systematizing the world in this like way of um, X characteristics makes person safe. Then yeah. anyone who does not display X characteristics, it's automatically unsafe in the unsafe box. Yeah. It's interesting because the that question that Matt Walsh posed, what is a woman? Um, it, it's not strictly a biological category for a lot of the gender critical um, activists. A lot, a lot of well, the most vocal activistic kind of gender critical 
think woman is an oppressed class. Like, like yeah. one is not born or biologically assembled as a woman, but the biological. So it's, it's really interesting over the last few years where like they, they, they threw away that biological category, but then once they, they noticed that uh, without that, then they don't have any claim to, to rights in the material was, uh, level, then they're like, oh yeah, okay, women are weak. You know, like, like, well, women aren't weak. Women are like more than the sum of their bodies. Women aren't just rep- reproductive things. Da, 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 da. So they, they put it away. And then like once the trans people started to invade their space, they went back to sex realism. But they have a really hard time with it because they, they kind of basically have to say they have to keep some sort of blank slateism in order for their system to work. So they kind of basically say they, they tend to believe it seems like that that sex stops at the neck. Like there's no cognitive differences. There's no behavioral it's differences. Re- it's just motivated reasoning. Um, be, like the characteristics, it, it, well, it's just, it's convenience and motivated reasoning. And that's what they do. That's what all of the critical theorists do. Like they don't actually have a set set like a, a, a set principle everything is like changeable everything is shiftable so there's not they don't they don't have to keep a single working definition of x thing they can change it whenever it's convenient to their activism that yeah. there's nothing stopping them they're idealists so like they like through a process of becoming their world becomes what they manifest, what they imagine. Um, and so if you change the language, you literally change reality. Because that's a, that they're like a lot of feminism is highly influenced by deconstructionism, post-structuralism, like Foucault, Derrida, yeah. et cetera, all that fun stuff. So um hmm. fun. So looking forward, I know you're super busy and we'll we'll get off. So kind of like closing questions. Like what do you uh where, where do you see yourself headed in this, in, in, as a cultural uh, critic or, or commentator, like in the, in that kind of, in the internet world, like where, where do you think you're headed or what, what um, kind of excites you and what do you want to like produce in that? Are, are you thinking about becoming a writer in that direction once you have freer time? Um, I've been doing like, this has mostly just been like a hobby. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I like making, I like agitating. I like, like, making people who I think are being dumb mad. Um, and so I, and I also like sharing information. I, I like, like, com, I like reading. I like, I like learning things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily oriented towards like any like form of activism. Cause I have like, I, I want to be a patent prosecutor and um, which is partly why this, I think this is the first, I've been invited on a couple, I think this is the first podcast or like, interview that I've done because I've been um, <laughs> kind of worried about that kind of like public aspect and getting doxxed or getting in trouble or whatever, because uh, obviously I <laughs> have a, I share a lot of uh, un, a lot of wrong thing. Um, <laughs> um, so I think maybe once I get a little more secure in my career, like like a couple years in a mm-hmm. firm, then maybe I'll do like I, maybe I'll dox myself, but it's yeah. kind of like touch and go. Yeah, yeah. But do you, do you have any um like uh like where you're headed intellectually in this level? Like what like where where do you want to go? Like just to tell the audience like where where do you want to head? Where are you gonna go? Like we because we cover what you do do. I'm I like to ask like where where are you going or what's developing or what do you see that's interesting what's what's new out there um i think a, a lot of it's speeding up a lot of it's like it's 
it seems to be like an like increasing at an exponential pace. Um, and the more people like put their their thumb on the pulse, the more like desperate almost they get. Um, and so hmm. you, you see like a lot of like they're being more overt and they're being less uh, they're less obfuscatory with like how how they're running these programs. Save save uh, the ones from that uh, students for fair admission versus Harvard. They they've had to go back underground with some of those cases um, because uh, so you you changed the conversation. You're speaking about a they a they. Yeah, you say well, they, they are doing activists like uh, the the activists like the true believers, um, and so I think what I what I'm going like just doing or like looking at in the future is just just continuing like to track track and see what direction this is moving in because I like that's what I find kind of fun is like going and going through Google Scholar and like looking uh sorting by like looking at like social justice keywords sorting by like most recent and seeing. If uh-huh. I see anything new uh, or like anything increasing in like frequency, which is how I noticed like the, the Wiccan stuff, because there's a ton of like papers about the relationship with like paganism and capitalism. Um, and so kind of just like tracking those like th- that tracking those like trends in academia. Um, Fascinating. James James is a little heavy handed on the Gnosticism thing. He kind of like just groups things into Gnosticism and stuff. But I do think that it's a very, 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 very useful. As long as you don't get swept up into a dialectic framework of like like saying Gnosticism is the enemy, everything's Gnosticism. That's that's not my friend. Um, but the but I can see what you're saying with paganism and and this idealism. Like they kind of come in together. Like words are reality, intention and reality. Like it's a very idealist um, imposition, and then that leads to certain behaviors. That leads to collectivism because ultimately you run up against the fact that you can't change reality, but together we might change reality or reality is social. So if we start to police our social reality, then we can actually affect our reality, um, which tends to make people live in these bubbles that then detach and then have like these really weird kind of processes. It looks like they're oriented potentially in different directions, but they're all oriented towards revolution. That's the point. It's like they're all they're all Marxism, like because like critical theories like were like were spirit were even like discussed by the like the American like um or different like communist activists back in the sixties seventies like the the economic prosperity of the U S was going to make it hard to actually like cause a revolution or create a revolution like with vulgar Marxism, but you could on mm-hmm. the basis of identity, if like, especially with race, which is kind of like what sprung out of the, uh, the uh, uh, civil rights movement with the weather of the ground, black Panthers um, and that kind of like academics that came out of that tradition kind of uh, became what would become critical race theory, intersectionality theory, uh, Angela Davis, Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell, um, and all of them were drawing on W.E.B. Dubois, um, mm-hmm. who was influencing Franz Fanon, uh, Sartre. Uh, Sartre. Um, but basically, it's all it's all connected. Um, <laughs> but they're all revolutionaries, which is why the counter-revolutionaries or the conservatives are the enemy, because anyone who wants to keep the system as it is, is the enemy to a revolutionary. Well, yeah, it's and and uh, the problem with the revolutionaries is that they see that 
Well, like one of my basic disagreements is like, okay, the system's flawed, but the system enables me to create something new and they're channeling all of their creative energy into destroying something or reifying something and getting stuck in this thing. Well, I, I guess I, going back to your values, like you just don't want people to tell you what to do. And so these revolutionaries, like they want to stop people from being told what to do by telling everybody what to do. So rather than just doing their own thing, mm-hmm. like and seeing what works and like saying, I have an idea. So I, there is a process in my life where I am an idealist when I think of an idea and then I try to ma- materialize it. And then I, and then I have to wrestle with the bounds of if the idea works in practice or not, but I need to do that on my own, take responsibility and learn from my mistakes. And so I need people not controlling me for me to be an inventor. I guess that may, might go into patent law. In order to find new things, you have to be free from all this social justice, revo- all this revolutionary stuff, which is caught up in the system, is caught up in the past. It thinks like it's trying to imagine the future, utopia and stuff, but it's all caught up in like changing the past and being in this in this system. of so, right. It just you seems need, like... You need to identify this problem. Um, he basically like you, if like, without, like he said, like, like God is dead and I killed him with, without a religion, without some like orienting, uh, or, or orientation upward, you either become a nihilist or you, you join in on some type of utopian social movement. Yeah. And so that's what they've all done. They're all like on a, some like utopian, like, yeah. uh, like pulling, pulling society to some like, uh, undefinable ambiguous utopia in the future yeah. um, which is what they're doing is your is your agnostic atheism a way of keeping yourself oriented upward um, oriented no, away from I'm, dead I'm belief kind of systems a nihilist, so. okay so you're you, yeah. you, you slip into the nihilist camp yeah, are you really like, though well part part i kind of like functionally I'm a nihilist uh, or like theoretically I'm a nihilist, but the way I kind of motivate myself or the way I, um, I accomplish things is I derive joy or I derive purpose out of, um, basically like stretching like the possibilities of like what I think I can do. Um, which means Mm, like, uh, oftentimes taking on more than I can handle, but just constantly seeing like, okay, how much more can I push? So um, kind of an Ubermenchian kind of thing. Like, like, we'll see. I'm also like, I'm also only 24. So it might yeah. be different. Um, uh, later on, I'm just kind of trying to get through school. We'll that is, that is a very, very profound, uh, active, uh, humility and self-reflection. I'm only 24. So like, I don't need to define myself at this time. Like I, I, I can use these categories. I can kind of notice who I am, you know, and I can use these categories, but I don't need to define myself right now. We'll see how I go. I'm going to get through this thing. That's just, that's refreshing. And I think that's also a part of like the realism that, that probably guides you away from or protects you from the idealistic, uh, temptations that are, uh, wreaking havoc upon your generation. Why the right side of history? That's got to be tongue in cheek because you can't believe in the right side of history because you yeah, can't be um, in a... it's, uh, TM. I'm mocking them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say like, oh, like um, we're gonna be on the right side of history. So I'm like typically like, posting like absurd and like horrific things they do with right yeah. side of history TM above the post. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, look, these are the these are people on the right side of history. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Great troll behavior. Thank you very much for your time. Um, it's, you're refreshing. You're doing great work. Um, get through your schooling. I can't wait to see how you develop and I'll link people to your, uh, your socials. Is there any like book recommendations or something that really, uh, that, that was really, that you were really fond of that really helped you or like really woke so you this up? This is a book written by a leftist, but I recommend, um, the, uh, the social gospel in American religion, um, okay. that, especially if you're a Protestant, because it, the social gospel and postmillennialism has affected American Protestantism in more ways than people realize. And so I think, especially people in church, like, because this is, I know, I know, like, woke is taking out, taking over a lot of Protestant churches, so the non-denominational mega churches. And so I think people need to be more aware that this is actively happening. People are actively like trying to push this into religion. Because it came kind of from religion. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Hegel was a theologian. He 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 got his like doctorate in theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. I I had no idea where we were going to go. I'm so proud of this episode. It was so fun. You really helped me make sense of things. And I knew all these ideas, but to to interface with you and to have you like kind of lay them all out, like kind of brings more like insight into this very stupid cultural little conversation, but it does have wider uh, implications because it is a pattern of behavior that is, is perpetuated over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I've been witnessing it. So to see, to have you help me like uh, map it out has been really tremendous and uh, enriching for me. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And you have a good, good weekend. You too.